Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today are Mike Lanana and Jim Schoenard. Uh Now, the biggest story in baseball right now is, is the playoffs, but we're not going to talk about Chase Utley or Carlos Correa or whatever else is going on. Uh, we're here to talk about college baseball, specifically the recruiting rankings that were released today. And you can find those rankings on BaseballAmerica.com or in the latest edition of the magazine. And if you're a subscriber, you get breakdowns of all 25 classes. So as always, it's a good time to subscribe. If you're not a subscriber, you can still see the list. Uh, and there will be uh, plenty of non-subscriber content. But for the real meat and bones of it, uh, you, have to, you have to subscribe so you can get the, the full rundown on, on all these newcomers. If you hadn't had a chance to look at the rankings yet, uh, Vanderbilt is ranked number one. This is the 11th straight year the Commodores have been ranked. It's the fourth time during the streak they've been number one. If you followed our draft coverage at all this spring, it's probably not surprising to see them at the top of these rankings. Eight of their incoming freshmen were ranked in the BA 500, including Donnie Everett. Uh, He was number 21, and that's the highest ranked player to get to college this year. And remember, those BA 500 rankings do include uh, college players. Uh, but, you know, obviously for these, we're just talking about the, the high school players. Uh, so, guys, you know, Vanderbilt obviously has been one of the most consistent programs in the country. They're, you know, been to the finals of the College World Series in back-to-back years, won it two years ago. There, there's just a lot going right for that program. So, you know, what, how do you feel like the, they'll, uh, they'll be able to integrate, you know, some of these freshmen? You know, I mean, they, they always have good players there, but... You know, there, there are a lot of open spots now, what with uh, the full rotation leaving and Dansby Swanson, you know, the number one overall pick, uh, leaving a, a hole at shortstop, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've had to lean on lean, lean on some younger players last year. Uh, Will Toffey, uh, obviously Jordan Sheffield played a big role in various parts of the year. So they, I think they know how to bring along young players. Obviously, they do have a, uh, like you said, they have a lot of guys leaving. So there's there are new guys that are going to have to take up the slack there. But I think, I think they, they've... Been at the top long enough now that they can they should be able to integrate these guys and with without too much trouble and probably keep it rolling. Yeah, that's the really uh, impressive thing about this program is that you can have turnover like that. You can have these draft guys and then you know pretty much start over, kind of hit the reset button, and almost not miss a beat. I mean, that's what you see out of a lot of these elite programs, and that's I mean Vanderbilt is an elite program at this point. I mean they're they're near the top, you know, in college baseball. So I don't think it's Obviously, there might be some growing pains here and there, but it is a phenomenal class, as you are alluding to earlier. So I think they'll be okay. To me, really, one of the most impressive things about this class is um, you know, just where the players come from. You know, they have, Donnie Everett is uh, from Tennessee, and you know, they have a few Tennessee players. And you know, Alonzo Jones, incoming shortstop, is from Georgia. But you know, they go... Pretty much anywhere, and they, they have been going pretty much anywhere to get these players. Tyler Beatty, uh, you know, their ace from a few years ago, obviously is a kid from the Northeast. But in this class alone, you, know, you got California, you got Texas, you got Miami, you got Ohio. There's Kansas in there. There's Washington. I mean, it, the the brand of Vanderbilt really seems very strong right now, and obviously that comes from success and you know big league player success too. David Price, Sonny Gray, obviously. You know, but it, it just really impresses me how far flung these players are coming from that, that they want to go play for Vanderbilt. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned the big leaguers, and you mentioned David Price, and I don't, I'm not sure you see 
a big leaguer who is as vocal a supporter of their college program as, as David Price is for Vanderbilt. I mean, you see him wearing Vanderbilt gear all the time. You know, he was in the crowd for the College World Series. I mean, that's got to be just a, a humongous recruiting tool. You know, and even, you know, the upgrades they're making to their facilities, they're allotting lots of space to, you know, have former players come back there. So, you know, it's definitely, I'm, I'm sure it's something special for, for Corbin and that staff to point to, hey, we got Price, hey, we got Sonny Gray, all these guys. I mean, and then, you know, you just look at the work ethic of that staff too. And just, I mean, even just, you know, being out of the area code games, in Long Beach, I mean, Corbin was the, the first coach there every day that, that I could see, you know, sitting out there. So, you know, it's definitely a tireless effort, and, you know, it's got to help to have guys like Price out there. It's gotten to the point where it sells itself, really, I think. I mean, I was like, those guys work hard, obviously, but I think it's it, it's one of those programs that's gotten to that point where, you know, when Vanderbilt's in the, you know, they're, they're going to be in, they can be in the mix for whoever they want, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think so at this point. Now, later in the podcast, you know, we're going to talk with Tim Corbin. So I don't want to go too deep into Vanderbilt's class right now because uh, Tim Corbin will uh, take care of that himself. Uh, we'll have the coach on a little later on. Uh, but, you know, rounding out the top five, you got Florida at number two. Uh, this was a, a pretty good class itself. Uh, six BA 500 players. Uh, and then you got UCLA, which uh, you know Justin Hooper and Kyle Molnar give uh, John Savage two more potential aces to work with out there. And he always seems to have good pitching out out in LA. Georgia Tech at number four, and Mississippi State at number five. Uh, so that's your top five. And I also wanted to spotlight three teams that uh, earned a spot in the top twenty-five for the first time ever. That's South Florida. Washington and Louisiana Lafayette. Washington in particular is interesting uh, because across the Pac-12, a lot of programs did a really good job of keeping their elite elite recruits, and Washington is included in that trend. Joe Demers was the he was an All-American uh, last year, and he was the uh, Gatorade California High School Player of the Year, and he'll head on up to Washington. And it just seems like the Pac-12 is going to be pretty competitive uh, in years to come. You know, Mike, I know you uh, you spent some time out on the West Coast, and what what do you think about the Pac-12 and and you know the 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 type of of programs that the those coaches have been building out there? Yeah, no, I thought uh, you know honestly, I thought the Pac-12 might have been the deepest conference in baseball last year. Obviously, the SEC is always going to be pretty deep, but. You know, just just seeing all those teams out there last year and, and, and the guys that they're running out, I mean, I thought they were phenomenally deep. Of, of course, they didn't really show up in the uh, the NCAA tournament, but, you know, I think that's, that's more fluky than anything. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, especially at UCLA, because they do lose a, a lot of talent. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in, the, in that coaching staff, and especially when you're bringing in arms under Savage. I mean, he knows what he's doing with those guys, so I'm sure they're going to be fine. And I think... I think even a team like USC, I think, is on, you know, is on the rise, you know, after going a decade without even making a regional, you know, I, I, I think, I think you look at the guys that they're returning on the team, they do lose some seniors, but I think they're still going to be strong, uh, especially bringing back a lot of pitching on that squad, and, and yeah, you know, Washington is, a, is an interesting group, too, I mean, they had their ups and downs last year, but, you know, I think bringing in this class can make all the difference. I mean, they, de- they certainly lose a couple of guys that I'm, I'm sure, you know, Austin Rye, Braden Bishop, those kinds of guys. But, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch, for sure. 
Washington is, does seem like a, a program on the rise. They make the tournament two years ago for the first time in a, a very long time. Um, they're interesting. Oregon State's class has gotten a lot of praise out there. A lot of people like Caden Grenier and uh, Madri- Nick Madrigal, uh, a couple of uh, middle infielders that will help uh, them for for the next few years. And Stanford, uh, this is the fourth straight year Stanford brings in a pitcher that was ranked in the top 100 in our pre-draft rankings. This year it's Tristan Beck, and actually he, uh, you know, he'll join Cal Quantrill and um, Keith Weisenberg there, who were the, the previous two years uh, top pitchers, but what's interesting about Beck is that he's actually, you know, he was ranked higher on those two, than those two guys in the, the BA 500, so uh, Stanford has always had some very quality arms, but they're adding another one, and if Quantrill can uh, recover from his Tommy John surgery, um, you know, they'll be, they'll be pretty formidable again. Yeah, I forgot to mention Cal is a, a, another team out there that's, you know, they're certainly you know, bring, bringing back a lot of talent as well, so they're going to be an interesting team as well. Cal uh, checked in on these rankings, and it's the first time they've been ranked since 2010, and when those recruits were showing up on campus it was just in time to find out that the program was going to get cut. Not a coincidence that this might be the first time in a little while they've been there. Yes, it, it took a little while for them to get back on track, but this is a it's a good group for Cal, and uh, it's good to see them moving in this direction after uh, you know getting their program reinstated. Did uh, anything else stand out to you, Jim? Um, well, I mean, South Florida certainly. Um, well, there are a few teams. I mean, Georgia Tech. That it's like as you as you mentioned, it's been a while since they've uh, been up this high, and, it, and that's just kind of an interesting program because they're. They've kind of had a little backslide the last few years. I mean, they haven't hosted a regional in a few years. They missed regionals entirely last year because they kind of fell apart in the second half. So, I mean, it's it's going to be so – they've got some guys to build on. You know, Kel Johnson, a big – he had a great freshman year for them. So they've got pieces, and they probably under they underperformed last year, really. So, I mean, that's – it's going to be interesting to see – how these guys, how these freshmen, maybe you, you don't want to lean too much on freshmen, but how they, it's kind of how, they, how this impacts the direction of that program. Uh, Mississippi State's another one. We'll see the missed regionals uh, last year. And then, because I think we're going to talk about South Florida, obviously, that are kind of the, you know, all the all these rest of these teams up here are all ones you'd kind of expect, but then you see South Florida there at number eight. I mean, that's kind of a, that's one that jumps out. Before we touch on South Florida, the Georgia Tech class is one of the most fascinating classes to me. It's 10 guys, all freshmen, uh, and they are all from the Atlanta area. Danny Hall did not have to go far to see any of those kids. In fact, one of them is his son. But you know, they're all from the Atlanta area, and it was a great year for Georgia high schools, specifically the Atlanta area, um, this year in, in the draft. And you know, so it, it was a good year to lean on those kids, and... Uh, Georgia Tech definitely uh, looks like they'll they'll be able to reap some of those benefits, uh, but yeah, South Florida, they are a little that you know they're a little out of place it seems like, but you know they're that's a program that I think a lot of people have long felt like you know they're in a, a good spot there in Tampa you know that in a lot of sports you know you you hear people talk about South Florida as a kind of a sleeping giant you know football and basketball too and this group was brought together pretty quickly by Mark Kingston and his recruiting coordinator, um, Mike Current. They were hired um, from Illinois State uh, last June, uh, so June 2014. And 
I guess the day after uh, Kingston, or the day Kingston got introduced at, at his press conference, he did the press conference, and then he got in his car and drove south to Fort Myers to go to watch PG National, which is you know the first big showcase of the summer. And he had some of these kids that are in this class, that, that was the first time like they really they really saw them as a coaching staff. So it's just interesting to see how classes can come together so quickly. And it's also interesting to me that so many of these kids were available. The recruiting cycle moves very quickly now with kids committing, you know, as sophomores or as juniors, but they were able to find a lot of kids late. Um, and Garrett Seck is an incredible athlete. Um, he was a, a star quarterback in addition to playing baseball. He gave up playing football as a senior, and he's really taken off since then. Chris Chatfield is a, a local kid who actually was already committed They and then decommitted, and they had to get him back in the class. They were able to do that. Uh, he has a lot, of, a lot of big tools. And Shane McClanahan had all kinds of draft helium this spring, just shot up draft boards because his velocity increased after a growth spurt, and he still is very projectable. They list him at 6'1", 160 right now. Uh, and there's some scouts wonder how much uh, how much weight his frame can carry, but there's there is more room for him to to physically mature and maybe continue adding velocity. But you know schools like that, like South Florida and Louisiana Lafayette, which is the first Sun Belt school ever to to be ranked in the 15 year 16 year history of of these rankings, is it's good to see college baseball, you know, growing at the, you know, in, in these areas outside of the traditional power conferences. Louisiana Lafayette obviously has been a very successful program, but it, it is good to see them be able to, uh, you know, turn that into recruiting success as well. There's so many more schools that's investing in baseball now. I mean, it's just keeps growing. I mean, South Florida is just kind of a team that's always a programmer that's always kind of has always been kind of curious for me just because they were for years they were in the big east and they're a florida school in a league with you know georgetown and villanova and pittsburgh it's like why aren't they better <laughs> why aren't they winning more obviously it's, i mean they've invested like they've invested in their program now and they're obviously they made it to regionals this year so with the recruiting class they're they've got coming in they should be on the you know just keep moving up so that's that's it's good to see yeah, and I mean, you look at some of the some of these schools that we think of now as, as traditional powers, like Louisville and TCU. Like, you know, not that long ago that these schools are are you know investing in their program. Exactly. And yeah, Louisville and TCU up. calling them like traditional powers. I mean, by right. South Florida standards, they are, but it's still kind of you know n- you know new millennium talk there with those t- yeah, <laughs> calling I mean, those teams uh, you know traditional powers. It's not LSU. It's no, not. It's not, not Fullerton. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not those schools, but you know, it, it just shows you how it is possible in baseball right now to, if you make the right investment, if you get the right coach, make the right moves, that, that you can move up, that it doesn't have to just be entrenched powers. It doesn't have to be LSU and Florida and Fullerton and USC or UCLA. It, it doesn't have to be those schools. Like, you can compete if you're South Florida. You can compete if you're Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, so speaking of smaller schools now, uh, one of the most intriguing classes is not in the top 25, uh, but Mike Lanana wrote a, a feature about the, the class out at New Mexico State. It's 35 players, 10 freshmen, 25 junior college products. So, Mike, what, what can you tell us about what happened out at New Mexico State this year? Well, it's a big class, Teddy. It's very, very, very big. 
uh, you know, it's very rare that you see a, a class of that size, especially in this day and age with, you know, with roster limits at 11.7 and, and, and all that. Uh, you know, a, a lot of things had to happen for this class to come together. And, uh, you know, talking to the head coach there, Brian Green, he's in his second year. Uh, last year he came in and, uh, you know, he had 15 seniors who were all going to leave. And most of those guys were their scholarship guys. They didn't have a lot of guys on scholarship. They had a lot of walk-on players. And then they only had one freshman last year, one true freshman on the roster. So they knew they were going to have some work to do. And obviously they did some work. And, uh, you know, bringing in 35 guys, they recruited half of them in the fall, the other half of them in the spring. And, uh, you know, they had to trim the existing roster that they had. Uh, they have nine guys remaining. And so 9 plus 35 is 44, so they're going to have to trim that even more, uh, you know, after this fall. So they're going to have some decisions to make. But I know the mindset for them was, you know, let's try to get three or four deep at every position and create competition and try to create a culture there. Because I think, uh, I know the coaching staff there wasn't necessarily happy with the culture that they had last year. They had a 10-win season last year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a program that's obviously been better than that in the past. Um, not necessarily a power, but, it, you know, looking to, to go on the rise. And, you know, this is a, you know, it's, it's a good class. You know, they, they do have some talent here. Um, you know, they have some guys that were heavily recruited by Big 12 schools and other schools out in the Midwest and some guys that can, you know, certainly be impact players for them. Uh, I know Alex Reyes is a guy that they're excited about. He played on the Arizona Yankees scout team, a two-way guy, a guy who's, up to 93 miles per hour on the mound and can be a middle infielder. I know he's a guy that excites them. Uh, they have a, a guy, Tommy Bell. He's a Orange Coast College transfer, a guy with a lot of power. Uh, the one draft guy that they got is Greg Poplison. Um, he's drafted in the 30th round by the Twins, and he's a guy who, you know, has plus speed, you know, who has speed in his arsenal and, and you know, should be able to cover some ground in the outfield. So they do have some interesting pieces there that they brought in, and it's going to be interesting to see how they those pieces mesh with the existing roster and how much of that existing roster is still there. Uh, I know they've they've expressed the desire to try to keep everyone in the program in some way or the other, whether it be through redshirting or, you know, what, whatever they need to do. So it's going to be interesting to see that, how that all pans out, but talking about schools that are investing, they've obviously invested and they've made a lot of, they made $2 million in improvements to their facilities there. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's really kind of starting fresh, starting brand new, and, you know, kind of putting a, a nice bow on this program. It'll be interesting to see. I'm sure they're going to improve on the 10-win season they had last year. I mean, it really is kind of a unique situation in this era of, you know, roster caps. Like Mike mentioned, it's 35 players. So, you know, when, when I saw that or, or when I first heard about it, you know, 35 guys, like, okay, that's your entire roster. So like there was an expansion draft in college baseball yeah, or something. Basically. I mean, but that and they tapped junior college, the junior college route, which you almost have to do at that point. Uh, you know, so it will be interesting to see what he can do at his alma mater. You know, I know he you mentioned that he was he was excited about changing the culture and, and kind of bringing back what what he had when he was a player at, at New Mexico State. Right. Yeah, he played for Elliott Avent. Um, back in the early 90s and Avent of course has been the longtime head coach at NC State now and obviously done a great job there and uh yeah you know he, he talked about how you know event would just bite you tooth and nail you know and they 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 competed at the, at the time they're in the same conference as Fullerton you know and as Long Beach State you know to you know historically 
you know, great college baseball programs and, you know, they weren't intimidated by them. And he's trying to get that same kind of culture back with this group now. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can get there. I mean, so far reports have been good from the fall. Everyone seemed happy there, but it'll be interesting to see how the competition shakes out and, you know, who's left standing at the end of it. And Green is an interesting coach, you know, just in his background. You know, he worked at UCLA with John Savage. He worked at Kentucky with Gary Henderson. Those are two of the probably most respected coaches, uh, you know, in the country right now. Uh, obviously, John Savage has a national title. And Gary Henderson, you know, was just with the USA staff, um, you know, this summer and, and has done a lot in the SEC uh, has a lot of big league players to his credit. So, you know, Brian Green's uh, resume would seem like he uh, he might be set up a little better than some new head coaches to deal with such a influx of talent that, that could present all sorts of problems that are difficult to anticipate. Right, right. Yeah, no, he, he certainly, he's, he's worked with some, you know, experienced coaches, guys who knows what they're doing, you know, and, you know, he coached with Rich Hill at San Diego, too, and he, he's been with Hawaii. I mean, he's been with a lot of, you know, great programs, so, and, you know, everyone speaks pretty highly of him and his energy and his recruiting ability, so, you know, we'll, we'll see, I mean, so far, you know, I talked to one of the veteran leaders on that team, you know, one of the guys left, and, you know, he's, he's met Avent, and, you know, Green kind of reminds him of Avent in some ways, just the fire that he has and the passion that he has, so, you know, maybe that's what that program needs is a little spark. Well, that is definitely one to keep our eyes on, you know, just see how that develops. It'll be, it'll be very interesting to see. Speaking of Elliott Avent, what Jim has been working on is a look at North Carolina State's 2011 class, which obviously featured Carlos Rodon, Trey Turner, Brett Austin, Logan Ratledge, and played a big part in them getting to the College World Series for the first time in a long time. If we were to re-rank classes... You know, four years after the fact, which is when a lot of the a lot of coaches believe that, you know, that that's the time to do it because you can properly see what they kind of impact they had. You're not you're not forecasting at all. You're just looking back. It's much easier to do it that way. Um, if we were to do that, this North Carolina State class would probably be number one. I, I believe they were number four in our yeah, rankings. Yeah, they were number, number four at the time. Yeah. So if we as if, they pointed out to me when I was over there. <laughs> So if we redid it, they'd probably be number one now. Uh, Vanderbilt uh, was number one then, and uh, that's that class still holds up pretty well. It features Tyler Beattie, and it won a national championship. But uh, North Carolina State's class is, is right there with them. So Jim, what do they? How do they feel like that? That affected the program now. Now, now that they're all out of the system, pretty much. Oh, well, I mean, certainly it elevated the program. I mean. The state was always, I and mean, they were a competitive program before that. And those guys, you know, they sort they took it to another level. I mean, Rodon's the highest drafted player in state history. I think Turner's probably the highest drafted position player. He's like the second highest ever. I mean, something like that. So, um, I mean, just having those and having those two guys get to the majors so quickly, uh, that's just a huge asset that they can point to when they're recruiting guys now. And um, I mean, it's it's a big deal. I mean, they're working on making more facility improvements and also getting the, you know, having that Omaha trip makes that a lot easier to kind of grease the wheels there. And I mean, yeah, that was a big, I mean, I don't think you can really understate what that, what that group meant to that program. I mean, certainly when you talk to people over there, they're, uh, they're, they're quick to point out that there were, you know, important older guys. They had a good group of seniors, especially on the, uh, the Omaha team. I mean, those guys, they, they just about all, I mean, all those guys, you know, 
uh, I'll just talking about the position guys. He had Turner, Austin, Ratledge, Jake Fincher. All those guys started from day one. And he had a couple of the junior college guys like uh, David Clyde and Brian Adamitz who were contributors. Uh, he had the pitchers. Rodon, Logan Jernigan was the number two guy on the Omaha team. He was in that class. Uh, and some, some of the relievers, too. Uh, I mean, that, that class was just so instrumental in getting that team to Omaha. And really their freshman year, where they went to Super Regionals, they beat, well, they beat Vanderbilt head-to-head in, that, in a regional, which uh, was probably, you know, was probably some of the best games I've ever gotten to cover. Um, and they, had to t- they had to go down to Florida for Super Regionals and lost in two games. That when Florida had Zanino and all that group, that was the number one national seed. But uh, yeah, I mean that that was such a huge class for them, especially you know getting to Omaha first time since uh, 1968. The uh, the thing about that class that's interesting is that Brett Austin at the time when they go into you know going into the the draft of their mm-hmm. senior year in high school, Brett Austin is the most well regarded player. Uh, Baseball America only did a top 200 at the at the time, they didn't do 500. That was the last year of just doing 200. Uh, and Trey Turner didn't even make the 200. Rodon, Turner was definitely the... snuck on, and mm-hmm. you know, very late. And you know, those guys are now the the guys. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Turner was like really well. I don't say really, but he was probably the last. It was like the last big addition to the recruiting class. I mean, he was. Uh, I'm, I don't know if we've, you know, like John and I or anyone else, we've talked on this on the podcast before, but like he was so under the. He only had one offer. From one other D1 offer, and that was from Florida Atlantic, before State found him. So, and then it, you know, obviously it all landed, it happened really, it was like the summer, uh, I can't remember exactly what the timing was, because I, I did a feature on him when he was a junior, but anyway, he was like the last big piece of that class, and he all, he came together really quickly, and the obviously you had a, you kind of had a Charlotte connection there with uh, Austin, Fincher, and Rattler, but anyway, with those guys, um, yeah, Rodon, I mean, the, the, the story, with him was that he so his senior year he's over at Holly Springs High School here in North Carolina over in uh, Wake County so his senior year he has a start where it's like cold and rainy and he was kind of pitching through his his back wasn't feeling good and and this was a game where there were a bunch of cross checkers and other higher ups there in to see him and he didn't pitch well his velocity wasn't there he didn't have a good game and he had all these you know high ranking people in the scouting community that saw him bad, and, um, you know, as kind of the way they, as the way, uh, Chris Hart, their uh, recruiting coordinator, explained to me, yeah, that, that was, so that was, that was a good day for us, for State, and, because um, when I saw those higher-ups saw him bad, it was, it was like, yeah, when, the way Chris Hart, Chris Hart put it, it was like, yeah, it's tough for the area guys to convince them otherwise, when they, when they seen him, when the other big shots saw him bad, so, I mean, uh, Rusty Rodon did end up getting picked. I think he was like a 16th rounder to the Brewers. Um, something 15, 16 rounds, something like that. But uh, he didn't sign. Turner was like an 8th round pick, I want to say, with the Pirates. He didn't sign. Obviously, Austin, as uh, you were talking about, he was a sandwich rounder, uh, didn't sign, which was probably, which also was, that, that was at the time was going to be the big coup, was getting Red Austin. Um, I mean, obviously, he was a very, he was a very good college player. Um, obviously, he caught... Uh, for the Omaha team, he caught ninety five percent of the innings because um, they, they kind of lost some of their other catchers before that year. So, I'll say you know he'll always you always have a ton of respect for what he did that year. Um, just thinking about some of the other guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, see, Ratledge was a guy who came in was a had a great senior year. 
to get that team back to uh, regionals this year. Yeah, I mean, just those guys, the, the, all one, all of those guys did a ton for that program. I mean, and um, I, I, I know I, had a, I know my train of thought was going somewhere else. And it was the uh, it was funny. It was funny is they lost. So they had four guys that got picked and got signed. Um, Jake Junis was one with the Royals, who was like a 29th rounder, got $750,000. Uh, Jason Creasy was also a Pirates pick. Those were two guys that they lost that they thought could have been big deals. And they didn't get them. They lost a couple other guys, um, a couple other junior college guys. And they, they those were guys they thought they would get, and they thought they might lose... Uh, you know, like Austin or Rodon. So that was risky with those guys, but they got them. And it, obviously, it's just kind of the funny thing about recruiting. It just you don't. Sometimes you get guys you don't think you will, and lose guys you think you'll get. And it, in this case, it all worked out for the best. Yeah, I mean, the it, it's hard. You know, the the these guys have to recruit them, and then they have to you know worry about the draft. Baseball is unique like that. The other thing about this NC State class that's interesting is that. You know, they get to the College World Series as sophomores, and then as juniors, obviously, it was a much much different situation. Yeah. Big disappointment. But then, you know, the, those players that still did stick around for their senior year, which, I mean, Logan Ratledge, key among them, mm-hmm. you know, are, are able to, to get the program back, back to regionals and, and back, you know, on, on the right track, building some momentum after uh, what, what was a very surprisingly bad year. Um, Going into the draft for Rodon and Turner, exactly. Yeah, I mean that was a you know kind of when I was you know kind of talking to Turner and some of these other guys that were have been around you know kind of had to walk, you know were watching the team this year. Obviously, it meant a lot to them to see that those guys get the program back, you know, go out the right way, you know, getting the team back into regionals, back into kind of back into the, in the conversation nationally. I mean that was a, I mean that junior year obviously. It was just kind of a lot of things just kind of went wrong. I mean, they didn't had some. They they didn't. I think they just didn't hit. They had some other guys had some tough. Also, Radon and Turner performed for a lot of other in Austin, but a lot of other guys kind of had down years. They had some injuries. You know, guys obviously there were you know draftitis <laughs> just in general was a big problem for them. And they obviously they lost a kind of a bunch of seniors off the Omaha team, and that was a, a big void. So it was just. It was a tough way for for that for the juniors to go out, but then those guys that did stick around for as seniors, uh, uh, Ratledge and Fincher and a couple other guys. I mean, that was it was definitely it meant a lot to that old class to see them have great years and kind of get the team pointed back in the right direction. Well, that North Carolina State class is is definitely an interesting one, and I'm sure in a few years we'll be uh, we'll be looking at some of these and, and thinking, you know, what what could have been or, or what was, um, you know. So definitely, uh, thank you, Mike and, and Jim, for uh, for coming on to to talk about that. And now we'll uh, we'll get that interview with with uh, Vanderbilt coach Tim Corbin that I talked about earlier, and he'll uh, he'll tell he'll tell us all about the new Commodores and and, and how they're uh, how they're integrating into the team. And uh, you know just what what the recruiting process was like for for some of that, and and, and how you go about putting together a, a number one class yet again. I'd like to welcome Vanderbilt coach Tim Corbin to the Baseball America podcast to talk about the Commodores' latest recruiting class, which was ranked number one in the nation in the recruiting rankings that came out today. How do you feel about this class, and, and, and how excited are you now that that they're they're on campus and everything? Well, yeah, I mean to get. 
you, you never know how it's going to, to pan out. I mean, there's several progressions that have to occur after you commit the kids and then go through the spring and obviously go through the, the draft process. But, you know, we're you know, extremely happy to, to acquire the, the kids that we did. And we, we know we lost a few guys, but that, that becomes a, a non-issue once you get your kids on campus. You start thinking forward about what you have and how they're going to grow inside your program. So we're certainly happy that they're here. Uh, I think it, it, uh, it's a versatile group from the standpoint of the position players are, are quite athletic and the, the, the pitchers come with different sizes and, and different, different abilities. So I, I think from that standpoint, it's uh, a very versatile class. And uh, at this point, I would say pretty mature for, you know, in terms of how they interact and how they, they go about their, their business on campus and, and on the baseball field. So, um, yeah, we're, we're quite happy with them right now. You mentioned losing some guys. You know, I know the draft this year was, you know, kind of a, a difficult day for you guys between uh, you know the super regional and then having the number one overall pick and two other first rounders and everything. But was there a moment, you know, at the end of that day or during that day that you realized that you know who who was coming through from this class or, or maybe you know that you you saw what was shaping up uh, that guys would get to campus largely? Yeah, I think you have a pretty decent idea as it gets closer who you think might might show up and, and then the kids that, that could fall. And then you have uh, another tier of kids that could go either way. You know, Donnie Everett and Alonzo Jones were two kids in particular that, you know, you can throw a couple more kids in there if you'd like, but th- those were two in particular that, had they been very signable, they, they could have exited our class and, and gone out and, and played professional baseball. But they, 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 they wanted this situation and they wanted this environment and uh, chose to, to, to go in this way. I think, you know, the situation for most kids it, it can, can be very black and white. You, you, can, you can make a statement and say, I'm, I'm going to school and leave it at that, or you can leave it open-ended. And if it's open-ended and if they, they're skilled enough, the likelihood of them going to school is is, is probably zero. So th- those kids were more on the other end of the spectrum where they, they made it clear that they, they wanted to go to school, and uh, we're, we're fortunate that happened. But we, we knew that as it got closer to the, the date. You mentioned uh, Donnie Everett. Um has he uh, has he been kind of what you thought he was? You know, I mean, that's a Mr. Tennessee baseball and, and everything. Has has that shown up for you so far on the on the field from what you've seen this fall? Well, I don't. I really don't think you know what you have until you start facing competition and you get into the spring. I think there's so much of a difference in a young man during the course of the fall, and then when he he gets back after Christmas break. I just think that that. They're, they're, to me, there's noticeable differences in their personalities. There's a comfort level that exists at that time, too. And I think comfort level has a lot to do with being able to tap into your skill sets 
Now, in, in saying that, those those kids are, you know, they're competing quite well, but you, you really don't know what you have in your hand until they start so they start playing other uniforms and start playing the game on a consistent basis. And I, I think at that point right there, we'll, we'll understand the kind of the, the, the maturity, the skill levels of, uh, of them playing in, in the SEC and, and playing the competition that, that we will. But, uh, yeah, up to this point, you, you certainly can see some physical talents that exist in several of these kids. I guess uh, you know what has stood out for you so far this fall from them. Is it more their their mental readiness or, or their you know their tools or, or, or something else? You know what what about this group um, have kind of ha- has has jumped for you? I, I just think that the way they've they've jumped into this training regimen and and done it quietly. You know, there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of, not a lot of noise with them. There's not a lot of talk with them. They just, I think they're, they're really paying attention to the older kids. They're watching. Uh, they're asking questions when needed, but they're, they're not, they're not leaving their nest, so to speak. They're, they're just very quietly emerging and trying to integrate themselves into the team. And, and really that's, that's all all we want them to do. I don't think we want them to do any more than that. But what I like about them is they're, they're, they're more quiet than anything else, and I, I just think that that's a good trait right now. I think their personalities come out in time, but we, we don't need them to, to step out right now. We just need them to uh, learn the routine of a day, how to go through it, how to navigate their way through it, lean on older kids to ask questions, try to figure some things out on their own and try to stay mentally balanced because it's, it's not easy to, to do this when you're a freshman coming to school for the first time. There's a lot of differences. There's a social life. There's an academic life. There's, there's a baseball life. And, you know, then there's a, you know, an um, emotional uh, emotional abilities that, that take place here, and I, I just like the way that they they've handled themselves in a in a very easy and easy way. Is there a way you can identify traits like that on the recruiting trail? Like, can you can you tell when you're when you start looking at these kids when they're younger in high school that that these are kids that might be able to to make you know, the, that kind of mature transition that, that you're talking about now? I don't think you can tell at a very young age, no. I, I think that has to happen. I mean, there may be some traits, but I, I think as they progress through their junior and senior year, you start to see the kids develop a little bit. And then you, you watch them, you talk to them, you, you speak to people that are surrounded by them, and I, I think you get a better idea of, of the player. And I, I think that... Therein lies the the issue that you know all schools have, and and trying to go out and and recruit kids at such a young age, it, it makes it very difficult because the decision making skills of kids haven't they haven't formed yet, they haven't developed, um, and you really don't know you know what what you're going to have in 24 months or 36 months. But I think the, the trying to find out what a kid's all about, I don't think you really know that. And then there's some kids that you think you know who they are, but they change, you know, for the better once they, they get get to school. And 
they they start understanding what what your program is about and what the the kids are about, so they they blend in. And I think I think that's the key to a young kid is just blending into an, an environment. And the, the quicker they blend into it, uh, the more harmony there is, and I think the easier it is for the for the kid as well. And you'd mentioned Alonzo Jones too. Uh, you know, he was one of the fastest players uh, in last year's high school class. It seemed like. Does that bring what, what kind of element can that bring to your offense uh, in the years to come? I think there's a lot of things that he can he can do from an offensive standpoint where he doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, there's some kids that, in order for them to become base runners, they they have to hit the ball in the middle of the ball, or they have to produce energy to the ball that gets through the infield or gets through the outfield. And there's certain things that Lonzo does where. He doesn't necessarily have to be perfect to the baseball when he hits it in order to get on base. And that's where his speed is a is a factor. And I think the thing that that I like about him is he really really wants to learn. He's uh, he, he's an aggressive learner. If there's such a thing, he just he wants to know. He's asking questions. He's uh, spending extra time in areas that that he, he might feel that he needs the most help or, or more deficient. And that that's what I like about him. He's a very intelligent young man on and off the field. I mean, academically, he's a super student. And I would say on the baseball field, he he's all eyes and ears. He just wants to, to learn what he can do in order to, to, to progress. And I, I see a lot of... I see a lot that he can do. That's that's for sure. I mean, I, I try not to. As these kids come in, I, I try not to have any previous notions. And when they get here, I just I look at them and and try to discover what their talents are. And I, to be honest with you, I, I knew Alonzo was a pub, highly publicized kid, and I'd seen him before. But uh, I like his abilities a lot. I, mean, I think there's a lot of things that he can do on the baseball field and. He's got a very high ceiling in this game too. Now, I mean, there are so many players in this class. We could we could go over them and, and for an hour right. probably. You know, is there anyone else that that you really uh, think you know you want to mention or, or that that has stood out for you? I probably prefer not to because I, I I just don't like Teddy singling anyone out per se. I just think it you know as a group uh, I, I like the way they've they've melded into the program and. And, and you know Travis and, and Brownie are, are highly highly responsible for for this. I just think about the amount of hours that they spend to cultivate the relationships even prior to, to these when these kids get on campus. I mean I'm sitting back here and you know they they show up on campus and yeah you know, I, you know, I just can't compliment those guys enough. I mean they 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 take such a special interest in trying to learn the kids and get to know them and, and spend so many hours with them prior to them on campus. And I, I think it has everything to do with why these kids are, A, they're here, and B, they're able to blend in so well. So I, those guys are highly responsible for this. Now, I, I also did want to ask you about uh, your returning team, obviously very good as well, you know, two uh, two College World Series appearances in a row. And, um, you know, how are you feeling about the season? You know, I, I know we're still a few weeks or a few months away, but how are you feeling about uh, this team going 
going forward? I, mean, I always feel good about the group. I, you know, I, how they compare to what we have, I have no idea. I mean, there's a lot of growth that's going to have to take place because there's going to be kids that are thrust in roles that haven't had them before. It doesn't mean they're inexperienced at playing at Vanderbilt. They're just inexperienced to maybe the role that they'll have, whether it's a playing role or whether it's a, a bench role or whether it's a leadership role for, the, for that fact. So I, I think that there's a lot of newness that exists on our team, and I think that's the part that's most exciting, just watching it grow, because we had some strong personalities last year, and now that they've left, it, it affords these kids an opportunity to to take their personality and, and move it in a, in another direction. So right now there's there's uh, there's a lot of good competition, and uh, that that's the part that uh, I enjoy watching the most. It's just the everyday competition with the guys and the growth of the group. And we've also got uh, MLB playoffs coming up here, uh, and you got mm-hmm. two two prominent uh, players in Pedro Alvarez and, and, and David Price. Uh, how much do you like watching them in, uh, on, on the biggest stage? Oh, I like it now because it matters. I just like seeing the emotions of the kids now because you you can tell they're playing for keeps. I mean, particularly these these wild card games of which Pedro's a part of. But, you know, I, I, I enjoy this time of year because it's it's, it's special. It's, it's such a... It's such a, they have to endure a, a lot of physical time and energies during the course of the year. And to get to this point where they've earned a playoff spot is, 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 is really nice for all of us. And now that we've got a couple of our guys in here, you know, I wish we had a few more, but now that we have a couple of guys in here, it makes, it, it, it draws special interest to what's going on. Thank you again to, Vanderbilt coach Tim Corbin for joining us on the Baseball America podcast and thank you to Mike Lanana and Jim Schonard uh, for coming on to, to talk some recruiting as well. I've been Teddy Cahill, your host here on, on the podcast today and, and remember you can find all of our recruiting information at baseballamerica.com and if you're a subscriber you get all of the in-depth analysis of the top 25 classes and if you're not a subscriber Uh, You you can see the rankings and you can read some of the stories, but you really should subscribe because there's a lot of great stuff there and there's a lot of great stuff coming up at Baseball America uh, outside of the college game. We're just starting the process of of putting together the top prospect lists for each organization and those will be rolling out over the next couple months. So it's a very exciting time here at Baseball America and we know that A lot of people look forward to to finding out who their top prospects are on on their favorite team. So be sure to to be on the lookout for that. And if you haven't subscribed yet, now might be a good time to, uh, to think about doing that. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast.